away from sin. Don't be so worldly. You're supposed to come out. You should be very different from the world. Cease and desist from sinful activity. If it is sinful, don't do it. If it is sinful, turn away from it. Just seems to be this theme that I'm God and I read his word and that's what it speaks to me. Now, when I say that that's what I'm gathering from my, my time with the Lord, I, I don't mean that it comes from God in a threatening way. It's not the, this threat, you know, and I, I hope that you're, you're, the, the way that you look at God is it's not him up there with a, a cudgel ready to just club you if you mess up. That, that's not the correct view of God. Remember that God is not a, a cosmic bully in the sky. You know, he's big and powerful and he beats up everyone that doesn't do exactly what he says. That, that's not the correct view of God. He is our heavenly Father and he's calling us to holiness, calling us out of the world. He's calling us to separation. He's calling us to sanctification. He's saying, come out of the world for your own benefit. I know what is best for you. Come out of the world, he's saying. He is a loving, correcting father instructing his children to turn away from that which is dangerous. That's what I mean when, when he says, stop sinning so much, son. So remember, as I preach this, the Father doesn't want to beat you up. He doesn't. He, he, he has your best interests in heart. Okay? He, he wants good for you. Do you know that? God wants good for you. He has good will towards humanity, good will towards individuals. He wants good. He, he would have everyone be saved if they would. But he gave us free choice and many people reject him. He is trying to protect you from dangerous things. He gives us boundaries so that you can flourish. and So that we can flourish as human beings in, in our communities and neighborhoods. He gives us boundaries. There are certain things you can't do. And he's calling us out of sinful activity this morning. Stop sinning so much. Now, having said all that, I want to tell you the title of today's sermon. You know, Pastor Joe used to always say, and many times he tells you the title of his sermons. I usually don't say the title, but I think I'm going to borrow from Pastor Joe this morning and, and tell you the title of the sermon. It's called this, Sins That We Don't Think Count. Now, I have noticed, you know, I, I watch a lot of videos and listen to podcasts and, you know, you... Keep your hand on the pulse here at New Hope as much as you can, trying to be a, a good preacher and good pastor. And I notice there are a whole awful lot of sinful behaviors that brothers and sisters don't think count anymore. For, for whatever reason, we don't take certain things very seriously. Certain type of things that God calls sin, we're willing to look right past them. Well, that's not a big deal anymore. Come on, man. You're talking about stuff that's written a long time ago. We're very dismissive of certain things. Now, some things we'll stick to our guns on and say, yeah, that is bad. That is evil. That is wrong. But there's a whole lot of things that the Bible says sins we're very nonchalant about. Well, not, come on, man. Let's compromise just a little bit. This isn't such a big deal. Come on. We have a very indifferent stance. We should not be indifferent to any sin. God isn't. 
We looked right past a whole awful lot of behaviors. And brothers and sisters, the list is very, very long. This could probably be a several-part sermon series, but I'm just going to do this one today. And I had to trim the list up very much so. So you better hope I don't get started and get on a roll because we could be here a while. But I'll try to stick to what my notes here this morning. Now, we look right past a lot of things. I, I don't, many reasons, I don't know, maybe it's, Society has devolved so bad that we're so perverse as a nation that the bar is so low, maybe we think, well, you know, Christianity is, is, is the, our standards have been so, they're so low, we measure against the world and we're like, man, look at them. Well, I'm, I'm not doing those things, therefore I'm good. Our, our standard has been reduced so badly by the world. We just dismiss so many things. Maybe we think that we have progressed past a lot of things. You, you know there's a lot of people that believe that. There's a very big, uh, it's called progressivism. There's a big movement in our nation where that people truly believe that we have made progress as human beings. And, and well, that's not our nature anymore. It was way back then, you know, a long time ago, but since then we've made progress, and, and those things don't mean what they used to mean anymore. Like humanity has changed in nature. There are people that believe that, that we have changed in nature. You know, I'll say that the Bible disagrees with that on a fundamental level, disagrees with that. Maybe we think that God has changed his mind on certain things. You know, well, some of these things in the Bible, and we have to written, admit they were, they were written thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. You know, they were sins a long, long time ago. But we've made progress as society since then. You know, we've gotten past certain things. We don't have to focus on them as much as we did back then. Society has changed. We're different now. We're, we're more modern. Those sins don't count that much anymore. You know, Christianity sort of morphs over time. It changes a little bit. You know, it's, it's ebb and flow. It's give and take a little bit. Come on, we have to roll with the punches. Times change. You know, the Bible should change with it. Amen? I mean, come on, we got to give a little bit. I mean, people are offended by everything nowadays, so we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to be rude towards anything, so let's just, uh, let, let's just compromise a little bit on certain things. Brothers and sisters, God does not change, nor does his word. He has not changed positions on anything in the Bible. If it was written thousands of years ago, God still stands firmly upon it today. Heaven and earth, this Bible says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word is everlasting. So, here is my short list of sins that we don't think count anymore. The first one, and bear with me for a second on this one, it's adultery. Now, I concede that we all would, most of us agree that adultery is sin. It's not really that questionable. It's kind of a weird one to start off with. I, I think most of us, if I went around here and took a survey of each person and said, check yes or no on this box if you think adultery is sin, most of us would probably say, yes, it is sin. So we would admit to that. But 
What if we go by Jesus' definition of adultery? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says this. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, that changes the game a little bit. You mean to tell me, brother, that the, the thoughts that I have can be sinful? Yes, that is what I'm telling you. God can view your thoughts as adulterous. We are very dismissive of this. Men, lustful thoughts about women are considered adultery. Christ says this right here. If you look after a woman and you lust after her in your heart, it is adultery to God. We, we like to say, well, committing the actual act, actually doing that, that, that's the bad one. Jesus says if you do it, you have already done it in your heart. What it's saying is God looks at these thoughts as adulterous. We can be adulterers at heart. Now, ladies, don't for a minute act like this is all one-sided. I've worked with a lot of your kind. My sons have gotten older, and the last couple years, my, my wife has went back into the workforce. And she comes home, and she's like in shock because you know, she works around ladies. She's in shock at, at the way they talk, at the things they'll say. I, I've heard women say things that, that I used to work with that made my skin blush. It's embarrassing, so brash and so unladylike. Women, this statement here is universal. You are not allowed to have lustful thoughts over men or women, women for men, men for men. does not matter. You cannot lust people in your heart. Men, you shouldn't even lust your spouse. Certain pure sexual intentions between spouse, that, that is okay. That is, that is how it is naturally between a man and his wife. That's permissive. But you can't, once it crosses over into lust, the Bible says this is adulterous. According to Jesus, it's adulterous. It's adultery. We like to dismiss this. We, we don't view this as adultery. We don't, it, it doesn't really count. Come on, man, it's a, it's a victimless crime. If a lady walks past and she's very beautiful and I have these lustful thoughts in my heart, no one else is none the wiser. No one knows. No one in my church knows. My, my spouse doesn't know. My family doesn't know. No one knows. It's a victimless crime. How bad can it be? Is it even sinful? I find it very telling that the very next verse, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 29. It's his Sermon on the Mount. He says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Very telling that Jesus talks about lust is, is committing adultery in our heart. And then the very next thing he says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. You know what, what Jesus is warning us, you better take the necessary steps that you need to take so that you don't look at these things and it, it will cause you to commit adultery in your heart. We need to take this very seriously. Your thought life, you've got to take it serious. The things you think, 
We, we like to get very dismissive of it because no one sees it. My preacher can't see it. A pastor can't see it. Therefore, how bad can it be? We, we look past this. But we won't hesitate one minute to point at the person that their sins are more visible than ours. It's so serious. Jesus is saying, you better do what you need to do. What was the name of that movie with, with Kirk Cameron? And it was about the, the husband and the wife and fireproof. And remember, he was susceptible to looking at pornographic imagery on his computer. And I loved what he did. You remember, he took his, his computer and he threw it in the trash. He smashed it and broke it. He's doing what Jesus says. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. You better do what you need to do. Man, if you're susceptible on your phones, then just go down and call your provider and tell them you want texting and phone calls only. Be, because thoughts are adulterous. They can be adulterous. Lust in your heart can be adulterous. It's that serious. Even these thoughts can be adultery in God's eyes. Brothers and sisters, it is sinful to have lust in your heart. It, is, it counts as a sin. It still counts. Yes, we live in the midst of a very sexually perverse nation that is actually committing these acts. But, but God's looking on the inside, at the heart, what's in there. Things you think about, they can count as sin. Don't dismiss it. Second thing, if I haven't made you mad already. <laughs> Vanity. You heard me. Vanity. Admiration for one's own appearance or achievements. Vanity. It, it is a fruitless desire for idle and empty things. Chasing things really that aren't going to amount to anything, that don't matter. Vanity. The funny thing is, I have never heard of anyone repenting of vanity. Never have I had someone come to me and say, brother, I've been dealing with vanity. Man, you got some time to chat. I've never heard of it. I've never seen someone at altar say, calling out to God, God, help me. I am a vain person, God. I've never heard. I've never seen it. It doesn't even count to us today. To commit vanity. It's nothing to us. Never heard of anyone repenting about it. Never seen anyone dealing with it or struggling with it or wrestling with it. Vanity, brothers and sisters, doesn't produce anything in your life. It has no end. It brings you to no end. It's vain. There's no end to it. Everything that you chase that is not of God is vanity. It's vanity. Some of us want big muscles. It's vanity. Some of us want, crave youth and beauty and vitality. It's vanity. Some of us want to be the wisest. It's vanity. Some of us want to be the richest. It's vanity. Some of us want to be the most powerful. It's vanity. It is chasing after things you cannot obtain. Even if you do attain, there's no end to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. I looked that word up in the Hebrew and the preacher here, he's saying, Hevel, Hevel. In other words, he's saying, vapor, smoke, that's what it is. 
When we chase after these vain things, he's saying everything that we chase after is hevel. It's like chasing smoke. It's like trying to capture wind. You can reach for it all that you want, but you cannot obtain it. Just look at Hollyweird. Got all the money in the world, all the fancy stuff in the world. And they're, they're constantly grabbing for more and heaping more and more and more. It's just you're, you're grabbing for the wind, brother. It's vanity. We act like that don't even count anymore. When's the last time you heard someone preach about it? Read the book of Ecclesiastes, brothers and sisters, and you'll see that the preacher, he tries everything in the book of Ecclesiastes. He, he, he chases after everything, looking for fulfillment, looking for the soul's desire, looking for the heart's desire, trying to fill up that void inside of him. He tries labor, working hard, building these great buildings and cities, and he tries mirth, pleasure, wisdom, riches, music, women. He tries it all, and you know what he ends up with? He ends up hating his life. He hates because he's chasing after vapor and smoke, and he's trying to gather it to himself, and you can't. It slips right through your grasp. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. He's saying he, he worked so hard that he applied all of his wisdom and he chased these things and he gave himself to them and he amassed great fortune and wealth in cities and buildings. And then he started thinking, wait a minute, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave this to someone else who didn't work for it. They're not going to care for it as much as I did. I think it was last week I was preaching and I said, remember, you don't own anything. You don't. You are a steward of it. For a short window of time, you are God's manager of all the resources that he's given you. Brothers and sisters, it's a sin to be vain, to be a vain person. God does not want us to focus on vain things. It angers the Lord. It's provoking to the Lord when we make that our life's goal, our life's work, our desire, chasing after these things. If God has blessed you, good, enjoy them, but they're the blessings. They're not the source. They're just the blessings. The source is God. And we become vain when we push God off to the side, chasing after his blessings. It's vanity. God does not want us to focus on those things. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 13. Now, we're not going to get into all the historical context of this, but just real quickly, we can see what vanity does to the Lord. It says, For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they sinned, by which they made Israel to sin, in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. It, it bothers God when his people go chasing after all these things. It's provoking unto him. It's like going up there and poking him in his ribs. It bothers him. When we chase vain things, it's provoking to God. 
You, you know, it, it's almost like saying, move, Lord. I'm on a mission here. Come on, give me some space, Lord. I'm trying to accomplish some things. I'm trying to accomplish some stuff. Step aside. Not thy will be done, God. My will be done here in this situation. That's what it is when we chase vanity, these vain things. Brothers and sisters, go ahead and chase all the vain things in the world, and I promise you, you will end up just like the preacher in Ecclesiastes. You will hate life. You'll hate it. Maybe you might even attain some of your goals. You might even achieve some of them. And when you get them, they aren't going to do what you thought they would do. It ain't going to mean what you thought it would mean. It's not going to fill the void. It's not. We're not designed to worship those things. You know that we are the handiwork of God. We're, we're designed by God. And he has designed us to run on the fuel that is him. And when you throw other things in the fuel tank, it doesn't run right. Look out into society. You can see it all around you. That those things are meaningless and purposeless and they cannot fulfill you. They can't. Now maybe you're thinking, well, why do you, what are we here talking about vanity for? Because we're Americans. We're the most indulgent people on the planet. We indulge in everything. We live excessively in every regard. We chase after every vain attraction there is. Marketing in this nation is a billion zillion dollar industry because they know, hey, we got to get this out to them and they'll all fall for it. And we do. We do. We chase everything vain that there is. Youthfulness and appearance mean everything to us in this nation. We will spend any amount of dollars that we have. Just look at the field of nutrition and supplements. There's a zillion different kinds of them. Because everyone, you got to look good. you got to look nice. you got to look young. you got to look physically fit. We will give everything. We'll give anything to look good, to look desirous, to be appealing. We've made gods out of our bodies. And it's vanity. It's vanity. You know, you do see all these people trying so hard to get in shape. Anyone notice that, this big push to, to be in shape, to be physically fit, to have muscles bulging everywhere out of you. If you're a lady, have the perfect figure. Or it's almost, if you don't have that, then you're worthless. It's funny because, you know, you get a little bit of age on you and, and you start thinking, it's nice you got all them muscles, but uh, they don't last forever. You, you don't have something more in your soul other than just that. You might look good for 20 years. You might. You're going to look good for a while. But it all, all breaks down. It, it, I, you, I promise you, you ain't going to make it out of this life alive. I promise you. That body that can bench press this or, or run this fast or do that, it, it, it fails 100% of the time. It fails. There's nothing wrong with being in decent shape. The Bible teaches us moderation. We should not live excessively or eat excessively or do anything excessive, exercise excessively even. We should live moderate lives. 
And we should represent God. Remember, he owns our body and our spirit. We should represent him with both. But we can't focus so much, i got to look good. I have to look, i got to have the best of the best clothing. i got to appear good in front of everyone. The Bible says it's vanity. And guess what? It counts as a sin. Vanity still counts. Don't care how much we've changed as a society. Don't care if this is the 21st century and these things were written about thousands of years ago. It's still vain. If it was vain then, it's vain now. I believe what the Bible says, that there is nothing new under the sun. People like to think there is, but there isn't. There isn't. There's nothing new under the sun. Vanity still counts as a sin. Number three. Now listen to me now. If I haven't enraged you yet, we're going to move on. Fear. Fear. Mm-hmm. Well, fear is just an emotion, isn't it? I mean, come on, man. We like to re- rationalize fear, don't we? We like to try and make sense of it and, and say that we like to explain it away, you know. Well, fear is not really a sin. I mean, fear isn't an evil thing. It's not like lust that we talked about earlier. It's not like hatred. It's not like that. You know, it's a human emotion. It, it, to be afraid is to be human, you know. Fear, fear isn't a sin, right? Are you so sure about that? Because the Bible sure does tell you not to be afraid a whole lot of places. Are you so sure that it's not sinful? Actually, hundreds of times the Bible commands you not to be afraid. Remember, these are commands, not suggestions. If the Bible says it, it's a a command from God saying, don't be afraid. You can't live in fear. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God is saying, do not be afraid. I will help you. I am very powerful. I am very strong. And I will help you. To fear is to go against the commandment of God. That's what it is to be afraid. It is a lack of trust. It is a lack of belief in God. Fear is bondage. Fear is looking at God as small and the enemy as very big. That's what fear is. And he says, fear thou not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's talking about humanity, that's talking about us, he also himself, talking about Christ now, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, listen, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Brothers and sisters, if you are afraid and in fear, you are in bondage. Bondage is slavery with fear being your master. 
That's what fear is. Fear is doubt that God is able to do what he said he can do, what he said he will do. Fear is doubting that. We are not to live in fear. Many times the Bible refers to fear as the spirit of fear. That does not come from God. If that spirit doesn't come from God, I ask you, where does it come from? Might I suggest it comes from the enemy? How many of you know the Bible does not speak very kindly about fear? Not at all. Not at all. Revelations chapter 21, verse 8 says this, But the fearful, there it is, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now do you see that the fearful people that are afraid of everything, they live in fear. Do you see who they're clumped in with in this verse? That's a pretty motley crew to be clumped in with unbelievers, abominable murderers, whoremongers. That is a pretty motley crew and it clumps the people that are afraid right in with that. Church, I understand that fear can be tricky. It can be. We're all subject to fear. Pretty much all of us. Fear comes very naturally to us, but you cannot live in it. You cannot stay there. You must come out of it. To, it, is, it is sinful to live in fear. We cannot operate in fear. We cannot. I understand that Goliaths arise out of nowhere in our life and they catch us off guard and they rock us back on our heels. But we must regain our wits and believe that God is able. Christians are afraid of everything. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid the economy's going to collapse. We're afraid of our government. We're afraid the stock market's going to crash. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of people's opinion. We're afraid of offending people. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of fear. When a Christian, hear me now, when a Christian leads a fearful lifestyle, it misrepresents God. The, the world looks at us scaredy cats. And what do you think they think of us? Do you, do you think, well, they must really serve a powerful God, an awesome God? No. No. Complete opposite of that. We have a cat that is afraid of everything. One of those scaredy cats. I can be sitting in plain view of this cat, right beside it, you know, a foot from it. Reach over, pet her, and she'll, she'll jump like that. And then go back to sitting there, maybe get on my phone for a second or whatever, and reach over and pet it again, it'll jump again. This cat sleeps on our front porch a lot. And if you just go to open the screen door and makes a little noise, she'll jump out of a complete sleep, jump up and go crazy. I've never seen such a thing. That's how Christians are. Scared to death of everything. Jumping at everything, everything. On the news, we're jumping all the time. Well, this new threat come up. Ah. Well, this, this could possibly happen. Ah. In Matthew chapter 25, 
Jesus teaches us the parable of the talents. Very much worth a close examination, but we can't do that this morning because of time. But we all know it pretty much. He gives these talents. And and remember, every time Jesus speaks a parable, he says the kingdom of heaven is like an unto. So he's saying God's kingdom is like this. And he gives five talents to a certain servant. He gives two talents to another one. And then to the third one, he gives one talent. And the the good master takes his journey, okay? And he's going to come back, and he's going to check back in with these servants. And and the the one that was given five, you remember the parable correctly, that that servant took his five and and went out there, and and he took some risks, and he earned five more. The, The one that received two, he did the same thing. He he took some risks and he used what God gave him and he got two more. But the one that he only gave one to, albeit he didn't give as many talents to this, he just decided because he's the master, we can't question the master. The clay doesn't get the chance to say, hey, why are you making thus to the potter? The potter makes what he wants. And for some reason he gave five to the one, two to the one, and one to this guy. We can't ask why, that's just what he saw fit. Some of us are given a whole bunch. Some of us are given very little. That's just because he is God, and he does what he wants. But the one that he gave one to, he went and he hides his. Well, the good master comes back, and he wants to check in with these people. And he checks, and he, he sees that the one that had five, he gained five more. Checks the one with the two, he got two more. He comes back and he says to them, well done, my good and faithful servant, to the first two. But then I want to read what he says to the third servant, the the guy that was given one talent, and he went and hid it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 says this, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art in hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, he says, I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here thou hast that is thine. His Lord, look at the Lord's responsible in re- response, and remember the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and that at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Therefore, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given unto he, then he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because he was afraid. He was afraid. Fear kept that servant from doing any exploits for God. Fear. The only thing he could see when he received that one talent was, man, if if I do something, I could lose it. I could lose what he gave me. So therefore, he did nothing. He he went and hid it and protected it and guarded it. Fear arrested him. It prevented him from using and growing what God had given him. 
Brothers and sisters, you have been given talents from God. He, he's given some of us five, some of us two, some of us just one. Because that's what he sees fit. What are you doing with what he has given you? Are you protecting it and hiding it out of fear? Or are you using it? Use what he's given you. You know, God, God entrusts you with those giftings. Some of you, he's made so good at dealing with people. You can relate to people. People are drawn to you. What are you doing with that gifting? Because the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. It didn't end very good for that servant that was fearful, did it? Didn't end very well for him. Almost gather that the Lord, the good master, when he comes back, he's angry. Fear kept him from doing anything. Brothers and sisters, to live in fear counts as sin. It's sin. Don't act like it doesn't count. Don't act like it ain't a big deal. To live in it is sinful because it will prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. Now here's my last one. And this one's a big one. Selfishness. We act like that ain't a sin. We do. It, it's an attentiveness to one's own interests. Uh, okay, it is, it is undue regard for oneself regardless of others. In other words, who cares about anyone else except moi, me? And many times, this is motivated by private desires. Now, I would say if I walked around here, New Hope again, and I, I said, check this box, is selfishness a sin? Most of us would probably say, yes, it is. It is. We, we should not be that focused on ourselves. But the problem here with selfishness is that Christians are selfish and don't even know it, and therefore we don't attribute it as sin in our lives. We don't even know it. James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. You, you, you aren't going to be able to go up to God and claim ignorance. Well, I didn't know God. He's going to say, I clearly told you in the word of God. Ignorance is not going to be an excuse for God, to God. He said he's written it in our hearts. You know, I was thinking about Judgment Day. You know, as Christians, we should always kind of keep one eye on eternity. You know, that we'll all stand before God one day. Every last one of us. And you know, when you stand before God, there is absolutely nothing that will be hidden from Him. Our thought life, which we've talked about, it will be manifested just as clearly as I stand before you this morning. Everything done in the darkness everything hidden from spouse, everything hidden from church family, everything hidden from your children, it will be manifest in God's eyes. He sees all, he knows all. And one day you have to stand before that being. I wonder if God might ask some of us when we give an account, 
You know, the Bible says we will give an account to him. wonder if he'll ask some of us if why, why not during our lifetime we didn't fill a certain need or stand in the gap in certain places where these needs arose. Maybe he'll ask you why you didn't take full ownership of the role that he had for you in his kingdom. You have to give an account of your life to God. Wonder if he'll ask you, why didn't you help in this situation? Explain that to me. And remember, you can't buffalo God. And remember, there's no loopholes up there that you can slick talk your way out of. God is the ultimate judge and jury. And remember, there's no court of appeals. Wonder if he might say, hey, um, you knew there was a gap that needed filled. Why didn't you do it? How come? I, I gave you certain talents. I gave you. You were more than capable. I enabled you. I gave you the tools. I equipped you. Why didn't you? And, and you, you, you aren't going to be able to point to other people. You aren't going to be able to blame anyone else. He's going to say, you, you give an account. When I get to them, I'll ask them. But I'm asking you. What would your response be? What would it be? Now, now I'm not trying to guilt anyone into anything. I'm not trying to make you sign up for anything. I'm not going to say, well, we need this here at the church, so let's pass around the clipboard now. Uh, that's not the point. I, I fully understand that we can't do everything. Brothers and sisters, people send solicitations to this church all the time. Can you do this, Jason? Can you do that, Jason? And some of them I do. Some of them, nope, I ain't going to do it, and I don't feel guilty about it because I cannot save the world. But I can do some stuff. I can link up with you and do some stuff. I can. I, I believe that each and every Christian ought to be playing their role in the kingdom of God. If you are saved and you're completely useless to the kingdom of God, or you're at least being completely useless, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. You ought to take ownership of some sort of role in God's kingdom. Remember, the role that you play in the kingdom of God, it might not directly benefit you. You see, that's the deal breaker for all of us because we're selfish. We, we want stuff that benefits us. You mean, you want me to do this? Well, what does that do for me? Well, nothing. But, but it's a need in the kingdom of God. I'm out. Count me out. That's what I'm saying. Selfishness is a sin we are very dismissive of. Find somebody else to do it. You know, these things might be for the good of someone else. Do you realize that? Do you realize how many, how, how so few Christians will look at the good of others rather than themselves? Oh, we're very good at, at making sure we're happy and have everything we need and everything is good. We're very good at that. But, but we fail to look outside of ourselves. I can ask the band to make their way back. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. We'll, we'll bring this to a close. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not, verse 4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We ought to be other-minded. We, we ought to have this general goodwill towards other people. We ought to be concerned. There should be a concern inside of you. If there's no concern for anyone else outside of you and your family, that's a red flag, brothers and sisters. That is called selfishness. And it is still a sin. Now, I'll stop there, but again, the list can go on and on. There's lots of sinful behaviors that Christians nowadays, we act like they don't count. But these sins that I mentioned this morning... All of them are forgivable. They are. God will forgive you for them. He will. If you repent of them, God will forgive you of them. And he will change you. I love this scripture in 1 John. It says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, confront these things confront them and, and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything hidden in me? You know, the Bible encourages us to say, Lord, search my heart. You know, there can be evil wickedness inside of you and you don't even know it. You, you don't even know it. That's why the Bible says, Lord, search my heart. Try the reins, it says. Be there any guile found in me? Is there any evil and any wickedness inside of me that I don't even know, Lord? And let the Lord point these things out to you. Let him point these things out to you. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Father God, we love you this morning, Lord. And Lord, I know that we live in a, a society, Lord, that's becoming ever increasingly sinful, Lord God. The, the standard, the bar has been lowered so low, Lord. But Lord, Christianity doesn't change with it. Christianity doesn't change with society. Your word doesn't change with the culture, Lord God. It remains the same. Your standards still remain, Lord. And Lord, I know that you are calling your people out of sin. Lord, the last few weeks I've preached several sermons, sermons on sin. You're calling us out of sinfulness, Lord. We ought to be separated from the world. We ought to be sanctified for the Father's use, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning, search your people's hearts, Lord God deal with your people this morning, Lord. If there be anything inside of us, Father God, seek it out, Lord God. Point it out this morning, Lord God. Search into the crevices of our hearts, into the hidden places of our minds, Lord God. Confront our thought life, Lord God, this morning, Lord. Hallelujah. Church, these altars are open. Let's worship.